everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Hey Alexa. Today I have Terry Tucker, who is a college athlete. He's an author. He's the blog. He has a blog called Motivational Check, and he's also a cancer warrior. Today we're going to talk all about his journey to going through cancer and just all these different cool careers he's had. Hi, Terry. How are you? I'm great, Alexa. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Me too. I was like, we were talking about before we recorded, I was reading your story and it's so inspiring and I'm so excited to like learn more about it from you, from the, from your mouth or from you talking, <laughs> but I'm excited. Well, it's going to be fun. I think, you know, I, I, one of these days I'm going to have to figure out what I'm going to do when I grow up. You know, I always say that <laughs> when I sort of, you know, go through my resume, but it's certainly been uh, a, a lot of fun along the way. Yeah. And you've done like so much, like so many different things. And it's so cool that you've been able to like pivot and change and just grow. Yeah. I've been lucky in a lot of ways. I mean, part of it is, you know, there's backstories to all of it. You know, if you look at my resume, it kind of like, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's usually backstories to it. You know, I mean, I, I, I grew up on the South side of Chicago. I'm the oldest of three boys. You, you can't tell this from my voice, but I'm six foot eight inches tall, and I played college basketball at the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina. I have a brother who's six foot seven who pitched for the University of Notre Dame, another brother who's six foot six who was drafted by the Cleveland Cavaliers and the National Basketball Association. And then my dad was six five. So I sort of joke that if you sat behind our family in church growing up, there wasn't a prayers chance you were going to see anything that was going on. (laughs) How tall is your mom? Mom was five foot eight and mom was the boss. You know, it didn't matter how big, tall, strong we were, whatever mom said, that's the way it went. That's crazy. That's so crazy, but so funny. Um, So tell us like a little bit about you and your journey. Yeah. So um, after I graduated from college, moved home to find a job. I was actually the, the first person in my family to graduate from college. Uh, Fortunately, I was able to find that first job in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the the hamburger chain. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, Professionally, uh, as I said, started out at Wendy's, became a hospital administrator after that. Then I made a major pivot in my life and became uh, a police officer. And, you know, I did the usual, you know, worked in a, in a marked car in uniform, yep. running a beat. Uh, I was an undercover narcotics investigator. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator. Oh my After gosh. that, I started my own school security consulting business, coached <laughs> girls high school basketball, um, made the brilliant decision to start a motivational speaking business right as the pandemic was hitting. So uh, that was, you know, that had to be tweaked a little bit, became an author in 2020. And then I guess to round it out, uh, been dealing with cancer for the last 10 years, but my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter is a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. That's cool. It is. What did you graduate with? What was your like degree? Business administration. Okay. Very cool. So that's why you, you were able to do health and all that. I wasn't sure if you had to like do medical or something for that, but I guess. No, the patients were very happy that I did not have any kind of medical degree and didn't touch them in any way. So they <laughs> <laughs> But True. no, I was just doing a new program development for a 
1100 bed, 5,000 employee hospital. So it was a pretty good size uh, organization and got to take a lot of what I learned at Wendy's in in marketing and new program development or new product development and apply that to healthcare. So it was kind of interesting. Yeah. So you needed that business background for it. Very cool. So like you kind of said that you've been dealing with cancer for the last 10 years. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit more like about your journey with it? Sure. So uh, 2012, 10 years ago, a little over 10 years now, uh, I was a girls uh, high school basketball coach in Texas. and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot. And I initially didn't think much of it because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. Yeah. After a few weeks of it not healing, I made an appointment and went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor friend of mine. And he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it, no dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern. Yeah. But fortunately or unfortunately, he sent it off to pathology to have it looked at. Two weeks later, I received a call from him. As I mentioned, he was a friend of mine. And the more difficulty he was having explaining what was going on, the more frightened I was becoming. And so finally, he just laid it out for me. He said, Tara, I've been a doctor for 25 years. I have never seen this form of cancer. You have a rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. And because your cancer is so incredibly rare, I recommend you go to MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, which is probably, at least in the United States, a premier cancer hospital, maybe in the world, uh, and be treated. And so I did. And I had you know, a surgery to cut the, the tumor out on the bottom of my foot. I had a surgery to move all the lymph nodes in my groin. I had a skin graft over the wound on my foot. And then when I healed, my doctor put me on a weekly injection of a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. The side effects of interferon for me was that it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. So you finally get better. Yeah. And you finally get better from that one shot to do it again. Exactly. And, and that, and I, you know, I think my body got to the point where it knew it was coming, you know, it was sort of like steal itself to, Oh man, not again, you know, kind (laughs) of thing. But I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five years. And that wasn't a cure. That was just my doctor used to say, we're trying to kick the can down the road. Uh, you know, to buy you more time for more therapies to become available. Five years after starting the interferon 2017, I ended up in the intensive care unit because of the toxicity of the drug at a fever of 108 degrees, which is usually not compatible with being alive. Fortunately, it was a, it was a level one trauma center and they were able to stabilize me before sending me to the ICU. So I had to stop the interferon. I couldn't take it any longer. And almost immediately, the cancer came back in the exact same spot on my foot where it had presented five years earlier. And that was 2018, which necessitated the amputation of my left foot. Cancer worked its way up my leg into my shin in 2019, requiring two more surgeries. And then an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone, and my only recourse right in the middle of the pandemic was to have my left leg amputated. And I also found out I had tumors in my lungs, which I'm currently being treated for. And I know that sounds like a really dark and ugly journey, and it certainly has been, but I can say this much. I think cancer has made me a better human being. Yeah, no, I, it's when you go through traumas, whether it's health or whatever it might be, it really does. It changes you in so many ways. 
It does. And, and I mean, some that. for the good, some for the bad, you know, right. and, you know, as we were talking before, you know, what you've been through as well, you, you, I don't think you really truly understand yourself or know yourself until you've been tested by adversity in, yeah. in some way, you know, and, and I don't think I did. I mean, I, I don't think I was nearly as strong five years ago, 10 years ago, as I am today, just based on what I've been through. And, and I don't think I'm, I'm tougher. I mean, I, I kind of think I'm probably the world's biggest wimp, but you know, I, I look at the things I've been through and think if I can do this, if I can get through this, then the people out there listening to us, I know they can do it as well. Yeah. It's, and it's true. It's, it's so true. Um, how has your like support system been during all this? It, it's been good. I, <laughs> excuse me. I talk about kind of what's gotten me through this and I, I call them my three F's and that's faith, family, and friends. And, you know, I, I have a very strong faith in God. And, you know, it, it's interesting for me, I'm, I, you know, I'm a little bit older than you are. And, and, and so, you know, I, I've seen people that, you know, start down a path toward a goal, what, you know, regardless, whether it's a health goal, they want to start a business, or, you know, mm -hmm. they want to go to school, whatever it is. And then they, they butt up against an impediment, something gets in their way, and they quit. And they're like, well, okay, I, I got to quit. Well, we don't just quit. We got to blame somebody. You know, very few people take personal responsibility for their own success and happiness. And so when I got cancer, people were like, well, who do you blame? I'm like, what do you mean? Who do I blame? Like, like I don't, can I blame? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't blame anybody. And then when people find out I have a faith, they're like, well, you must blame God. And I, I sort of joke. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't think that at all. No. But I do think he has given me the strength to get through this. So that's one thing. And then my, my family, as I mentioned, it's just my wife and daughter and I, and after I had my leg amputated, my doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy and I kind of looked at him like, we were eight years into this fight. I'm like, is it going to save my life? And he's like, yeah, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I'm like, well, I'm not sure I want to go through that given the outcome is going to be the same as if I don't do it, but I'll go home and talk to my family and, and see what they have to say. And so, and it's kind of a funny story. So I go home and, and, and I start to tell my wife and daughter and my daughter's immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting, there's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something <laughs> like that. You know, so, so we end up sitting around the kitchen table talking about how we all feel individually about me having chemotherapy. And then at the end of that, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I don't want to do? And you have uh, to be the one to go through it. Exactly. But I remembered back when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics used to uh, instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you'll fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy, not because I wanted to do it, but because I love my family and more than I love yeah. myself and they wanted me to do it. So, uh, you know, that's the family component. And then certainly friends and I, and, and maybe you can uh, agree or disagree with me on this, you know, from your experience, but I think you really find out your friend, who your friends are when you go through some For kind sure. of a, a chronic or terminal or, or very serious illness. And, and I did find that. And people who I thought would be there for me weren't, and people who I never expected to be there for me have been. So that's been a, a very unique experience. For sure. So when was the chemo? Uh, the chemo was about 
three years ago. Uh, okay. it, it, it was literally a bridge. I'm on a clinical trial drug now. Um, chemotherapy works by finding the cancer and killing it. The drug that I'm on now does nothing to the cancer, but the way cancer proliferates in the body is that it secretes an enzyme or a protein that mm -hmm. hides itself from your immune system. And what these, this, these drugs that I'm on now do is it, it wipes out that protein so that your body can say, oh, that's cancer. You know, that doesn't belong here. We should go kill it. So it allows your own immune system to take over and take care of it. So it, it's just a different way of approaching it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I have a very bad reaction. I go every three weeks, uh, Monday through Friday uh, for probably 10, 12 hours. I, I'm, I'm treated. I have I throw up. I shake. I do all kinds of ugly stuff. And then I do it again the next day. And then I get two weeks off. And I, I mean, I'm probably on cycle 25, 26 of, of the therapy. Wow. Yeah. Um, started out with two other people. Unfortunately, they have not. Uh, they're not here any longer. Uh, the, the cancer got them and I'm, I'm sort of the last man standing. So it's as much, you know, me carrying the the torch or yeah. the flag for them as, as it is for me, uh, you know, to try to continue to move on. And how long do you have to keep doing this for? Is this pretty much forever or? It, it technically, the study technically ends in October. Uh, the, the company is publishing their findings at a cancer conference in June um, you know, I've asked my study coordinator, you know, is this something that's going to move forward? And she's like, no. And I'm like, well, why not? She said, because you're the only idiot that would do this five days a week. It's just too, it's too hard of a therapy on people on physically. And I'm like, no, it's not. I, I mean, if I can do it, other people can do it. So I think what the company's going to do is, is sort of change the protocol, maybe give it to people one day a week or two days a week and see if they yeah. can get the same results so that you're not you know, you're not taxing your body. You're not putting your body through all that kind of stuff. And because she's like, people aren't going to do it. I don't care if the, even if the outcome is they're going to die, they wouldn't do that. I, I don't get that. I don't understand that, but right. it is what it is. Yeah. So do they say like, like, are you doing okay right now? Like how, cause you, you seem like you're doing great. I mean, obviously I don't know your day to day and I mean, with the medication, that's all different. Right. I, I am, I'm stable right now. I mean, the cancer is not, it's not growing. It hasn't gone anywhere else, but it's also still there. And, right. and, and so, you know, the, the tumors are still in my lungs and, you know, it, 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 it's kind of funny because when I, a couple of months ago, my doctor actually showed me my CAT scan from back in 2020 when I had my leg amputated and they found the tumors in my lungs. I have no medical background, so I don't really know how to read a right. CAT scan, but I can kind of tell like, well, that doesn't look like it belongs there. And I had, I had uh, fluid all around the pleural spaces, the outer spaces okay. of my lungs. I had these big tumors in my lungs. And I remember looking at my oncologist and was like, how was I alive? And he, he kind of smiled and shook his head. And he's like, I have no idea, but you know, you are. And, and so what that yeah. said to me is God's not done with me yet. When I die, how I die, where I die, way above my pay grade. So I don't spend a lot yep. of time worrying about it. So has the has the um, treatments at all? Have you done another CAT scan since 2020? Oh yeah. I have a CAT scan every six weeks. I, I'm surprised I don't glow on these podcasts, <laughs> you know, I mean, with, with all the stuff. Yes. And, and so has they it shrunk they, at all. It, it has, it has, it has shrunk uh, somewhat, but again, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, it's, it's still there, it's still yeah. there. And yeah. Uh, but it, it, you know, it's sort of at a area where, I mean, if it does shrink, it shrinks by, you know, a millimeter, it's so small that it's almost hard to, to measure know. in that. So, 
Yeah, but uh, I mean, I'll take that over. Well, hey, it's in your liver now, or you know, it's right. It's in your pancreas or something like that. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, no, um, I think it was a family member of mine. I, it might have been like a great grandpa or someone. I don't know. They always said that there's like an invisible tag, like when we're born, when the day you're born and the day you're gonna die. Like you don't know, obviously, and then everything in between. And it's like it's kind of true. It's like you don't really have your choice of how I mean you do if you do it yourself but like other than that but like then I wonder like was that date always there I think in a lot of ways I mean you, you know you look at people who uh you know live a casual life and and because of living that casual life their their dreams their goals their ambitions become a casualty of sort of that unplanned living and fortunately or unfortunately I you know being a policeman and, and having this 10 year cancer journey, I've seen a lot of people die. And, and, and I'm going to make a huge generalization here, but the people who seem to die, what you and I would probably call peaceful or happy deaths, seem to be the people that did something with their life. They found their purpose in life and they lived it. And so dying to them is not nearly as scary as the people, you know, who I, I want another month or I want another year because they never did, did anything. anything with their life. And, and that, so again, a huge generalization, but I mean, that's kind of, you know, the two camps that I see people who actually did something with their life, got up and made something happen. And people who, well, you know what, I'm just going to do whatever happens and let, you know, I, I yeah. think you need to get out there and, 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 and find your life. You know, I, I I'm not so sure that life is going to come to you no. just because you're sitting around watching television or something like that. No. So, <laughs> and it's how you deal with traumas or adversity. It's also that is how you could learn and grow and become maybe who you're supposed to be. Yeah. A, a lot of it is mindset. I I'm, like I said, I'm much, much older than you. And when I was in uh, high school and college, there was a, a basketball coach at Indiana University by the name of Bobby Knight, kind of a controversial guy, but a, a great coach. And I had a friend of mine who I, I played against in high school, went to play for Knight in Indiana. And we used to see each other during the summer. And I said to him, you know, like, what's Knight like? And he said, you know, he, he's very cerebral. He's very, you know, intelligent. He says he's got this saying that goes, mental is to physical as four is to one. So here's this great coach teaching, you know, elite athletes how to use their bodies to be great basketball players. But what he's really saying with that quote is that your mind, your mindset is four times more important than your physical body ever will be. Yeah. It's true though. It's crazy, but it's true. It is. Um, so you're also an author and you also have your own blog called Motivational Check. Can you tell us a little bit about them and how they came to be? Yeah, <laughs> excuse me. Motivational check is is um, you, you know again like like I said I, I have a very deep faith and, and there's that old joke that goes when we talk to God it's called prayer when God talks to us it's called schizophrenia so God has never talked to me but I think what God does is puts people in our path that that make suggestions to us hey you got to try this hey you got to and I and I'm think I'm smart enough that when enough people start making a suggestion that I had to kind of buck up and be like, maybe I had to pay attention to see what, you know, what's going on here. So people are like, you ought to start a blog. I'm like, start a blog. I can barely turn my cell phone on in the morning. You know, <laughs> start a blog was so over my head when I first started it, it was literally four pages and it took me four months. I mean, my daughter probably could have done it in 15 minutes, but I didn't understand anything. So it was a, yeah. it was a tremendous growing uh, situation for me. 
but it was it I put up a, a thought for the day every day and and with that thought comes a question about maybe how you can apply that thought in your life on Mondays I put up the Monday morning motivational message which is a usually a video or a story that I found that I think is a little bit deeper um, my podcast information is on there there's suggestions for books and videos to watch and things like that so uh, so that's that's motivational check and, and and that's the blog the book is called sustainable excellence the 10 principles to leading your uncommon and extraordinary life and and that's available anywhere you can get a book online Amazon Barnes and Noble Apple iBooks however you, yeah. you consume your books but the book was really born out of two conversations I had. One was with a former basketball player who I coached who'd moved to the area where my wife and I live. And we'd had dinner with her and her fiance. And I remember saying to her one night after dinner, you know, I'm really excited that you're living close and I can watch you find and live your purpose. And she got real quiet for a while. And then she looked at me and she's like, well, coach, what do you think my purpose is? I said, I have no idea what your purpose is, but that's what your life should be about. Finding the reason you were put on the face of this earth and living it. And then the second conversation was with a young man in college who reached out to me on social media and asked me what I thought were the most important things that he should learn to not just be successful in his job or in business, but to be successful overall. And I didn't want to give him the, you know, get up early, work hard, help others. Not that those aren't important. They are very right. important. But I wanted to see if I could go deeper with him. And so I spent some time. I wrote some notes. Eventually, I had these, these 10 ideas, these, these 10 thoughts, these 10 principles. And so I sent them to him. And then I stepped back and I was like, well, I got a life story that fits underneath this principle, or I know somebody whose life emulates that principle. So literally during the three month period between when I had my leg amputated and when I started chemotherapy uh, for the tumors in my lungs, while I was healing, I sat down at the computer every day and I built stories and they're real stories about real people underneath the 10 principles. And that's how sustainable excellence came to be. Did you self-publish? I did not. I had a, a, a young man or an older guy who was in law enforcement who turned me on to a couple. It's kind of a kind of an interesting story. He was a police chief in Louisiana. And uh, one of his buddies said, hey, would you mind coming out to California and putting on a presentation for authors who want to understand police tactics so they can incorporate them in their book and make it sound like they know what they're talking about? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sure. Free trip to California. What the heck? You know, he goes out there. He ends up meeting his wife, who is a, like a 35-time best-selling fiction author. The two of them get married. He gets out of law enforcement, and they started a not-for-profit publishing company. So I got hooked Very up with cool. him, and, and they, they published them, which was great because I had access to, you know, to editors and cover designers and the layout people and all that kind of stuff. That's that, amazing. Yeah, self-publishing, I, I, it wouldn't have looked nearly as good as it does. Yeah, it's, it's a hot mess. I mean, not a hot mess. It's hard. I I um, have two fiction novels, mm -hmm. and it's hard. It's like because you have to find everyone yourself, and like, how do you know if it's good if it's not? Like, right? Uh, but yeah, was, I, I mean, I, mean that's, like, I, I had the same thing. You know, it was like, I, so you've you've got this manuscript, and you're like, well, is this any good? I mean, is it worth you know spending the time and the aggravation to get published? Right. And, and so I I kind of sent it out to a few people, a few friends. I'm like, please, brutally honest. You know, yeah. this is terrible. Tell me it's terrible and I, I won't do anything with it. But they were all like, no, you should try to get this published. So it was it, it was a it was a fun time because, again, I learned about an entire industry that I had no idea exactly. about how it so, works. Yeah. Very cool. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. And I loved hearing about your journey and 
like your motivational check, your blog post, um, your your book, your story with your cancer. I think everything you're doing is so amazing. Um, but before I let you go, can I want to play a quick game with you? Sure. Just so our audience can get to know you even a little bit more. Um, they're quick, easy questions. Sure, right. that's what everybody says. Easy, right? <laughs> First one is um, drink of choice. Water. I've been a big, I mean, I used to hate water. Like it was just so boring to me. Now I love it. It's like, I'll drink so much. Sometimes yeah, it's, too much, it's, but. <laughs> but it's like, it, it cleanses you, you know, it gets rid of it all the ugly good, the gunk yeah. in your body. So yeah, I, I love it. And I've actually been doing this like liquid IV. Have you heard of them? No. So it's like one of those, like that has like vitamins and electrolytes. It like gives you, it's like, you just pour it in your drink. Uh-huh. And it's supposed to be like really good for you. And I, it's like different flavors. Like I have grape. Um, it has like a million different vitamins. It's, um, it actually gives you like two and a half times more water, like more than just a plain glass of right. water. And it's like, I do one every day and I love it. Would you, hey, would you mind sending it to me? Cause I, I certainly yeah. like to try um, it. Yeah. It's I'll just, I'll send you the name, but it's called okay. liquid IV and you can get it like target Walmart, Walgreens. Okay. I mean, I don't know where you the stores you have, but yeah. yeah, we do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and it makes the water even taste good too. And it's not like any of those like bad things for you. Good. Like, okay. like uh, yeah. So that was that, but, um, <laughs> uh, favorite movie TV show or both. Um, my favorite TV show is probably one you've never heard of. It was, it was, it was a police drama called Hill street blues. It was back in the, the late 1980s. It was kind of the first show that really got, uh, it was sort of a gritty, here's what really happens. It, you know, it wasn't like, oh, let's, you know, it, it was ugly and it was kind of down in the mud and all that kind of stuff. So Hill Street Blues, I would say, was probably our, my favorite television show. Very cool. Um, words of advice to your younger self? Um, you're much more resilient than you ever thought you were. That's true. And I think we all need to hear that sometimes, even our older selves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> our present day self. That's right. Just say it to yourself constantly. <laughs> um, five words, or not five words of advice, um, five words to describe yourself. Boy, that's a good question. Um, tall, uh, athletic. Well, well, at least I guess I used to be before I had my leg amputated. Um, faithful, uh, loving, and caring. I love those. And the last one is, what does success mean to you? Um, I'll give you the best definition of success that I've ever heard in my life. And it was from a, again, I'm going back to my childhood, uh, a coach at UCLA by the name of John Wooden, who was one of the most successful basketball coaches of all times. And you would think that this would be uh, a quote about winning, you know, it, being mm -hmm. a successful coach. But this is how he defines success. Success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction and knowing that you did your best to become the best that you're capable of becoming. That's a, yeah, I like that. Because it isn't always about winning. It's about how you handle things too, like how you handle your wins or your losses. And it's just- exactly. It's right. So peace of mind. I like that. Um, and where can we find you? 
Um, as I mentioned, I've got a blog, Motivational Check. So motivationalcheck.com, you can leave me a message there. Uh, if you want to reach out to me on an email, it's motivationalcheck at AOL.com. I'm kind of old school with the AOL. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, motivationalcheck.com or motivationalcheck at AOL.com will get you to me. All right. Well, you heard it here and that'll be in the description below. Um, I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.